What's up, current and future freedom jumpers? Welcome to the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to episode 28. Episode 28. And this is a special episode because it's not every day that you get to hear straight from the CEO of a major uh, insurance carrier, uh, probably one of the hottest topic carriers uh, in the independent agency channel uh, at this point, uh, as I record this in 2021. Uh, My guest in this episode is none other than Mr. Ty Harris, the CEO of Openly Insurance. And I, I have to try to you know play it cool and hide my excitement here because I am a huge fan of Openly. I think they are definitely something uh, that we should all keep our eyes on in the IA channel. Uh, as I said in my interview with Ty, uh, Openly is basically the the pretty girl at the dance that everyone wants to be with. Uh, they are definitely on the rise. Uh, they have committed to the IA channel. Uh, and they are doing some very cool things. Uh, easy to work with, great pricing, great commissions, great underwriting, claims, ops, the whole thing. Uh, openly is the real deal. So, hope you enjoy this conversation with Ty Harris as much as I did. Before we jump in, I have the same three requests that I always have. Please subscribe on your favorite channel if you haven't already. Many of you have, and that's great. Thank you for that. Leave a review if you like what you hear on AFP. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you know who's in the captive agency side of the industry and needs what we are talking about. This podcast exists for people that are trying to figure out how to make their freedom jump. And then obviously, the second part of the equation is For those of you uh, that have already made your jump and just want to be better at what you do, better bosses, better salespeople, uh, better managers, better leaders, more successful, more profitable in your business. So thanks for being on this journey. We're having a lot of fun together. Uh, We recently crossed over 15,000 total downloads uh, since we launched this thing in May of 2021, just a few short months ago. It is a wild ride. And I am glad to be doing it with you. So here we go. Episode 28, Mr. Ty Harris, CEO of Openly Insurance. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey, Freedom Jumpers, James Jenkins here with another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. And I don't mind saying I am more than a little excited for this particular episode because I have the distinct privilege of being joined by Mr. Ty Harris, who is the CEO of Openly Insurance and has a resume a mile long in our industry. So uh, this is going to be a real treat. Uh, Ty and I are going to get into uh, Openly Insurance. A lot of you are familiar with them uh, as well as some individual things for Ty and and his growth as a leader and and some things that we can uh, learn from him and and headspace and grit. And then we're going to talk state of the industry Uh, as a as a executive in our industry, as a thought leader, as an influencer. Ty is going to share his unique perspective on some things that we all care very much about. So, Ty Harris, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to uh, have a conversation. 
Now, you have done a lot of interviews. You've done a lot of media. So uh, I am going to do my very best to not duplicate what is already out there in the, the zeitgeist, so to speak. So uh, first off, I'm going to just go straight at it. Openly insurance. I feel like openly is the pretty girl at the high school dance. And suddenly, like everybody is captivated by openly. There's, I've seen so many posts on LinkedIn of people sharing What's Openly? What is this thing? I've never heard of them. They seem really cool. Openly Insurance. For those that are not familiar, and just so you know, and you and I haven't really prepped too much here, a lot of our audience uh, is on the captive side of the industry, and they are at least curious about making the jump to the independent side. Uh, So some people may not be at all familiar with Openly, and then a good amount of our our listening audience uh, is in the first three to five years of their career and may in some way be familiar. But uh, from your perspective, tell me what Openly is and how it is definitely innovative from the the pack of legacy carriers. Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks for that. Well, you know, I I spent much of my career um, at Liberty Mutual, um, which was an, an amazing experience. I was ultimately the chief product and underwriting officer there. I started my career though as an actuary, built lots of products. And so I was really able to see, you know, get a, get a pretty good vision into what I thought was being done really well and, and what wasn't done as well in the industry um, from that vantage point. And from my perspective, you know, technology in particular has made a lot of things possible in insurance today that weren't possible 10, 20 years ago. And that's across data collection, speed and ease of use, um, being able to better predict risk, just really across the board. Now, you know, many of the, the biggest incumbents and uh, frankly, a lot of the insure techs as well have taken this this new frontier of possibility. And either it's, for the incumbents, it's sometimes hard to to build that into their existing process. For the insure techs, they, they're able to do it. But um, what they've done with that is is take it and really take it direct to consumers. Say we're going to build a great auto insurance and take it direct to consumer. Now, our our view, by contrast, is that really the best answer for consumers is through choice and through independent agents specifically. And so, that that leads to the opportunity we saw with Openly. We say, hey, you know, we can build the best next generation personal lines insurance products and specifically tailor them to bring them to market through the independent agency channel. So we have a vision to become the number one provider of personal insurance through the independent agency channel. We're laser focused on the channel and on bringing to that market a product that is really ahead of the best direct and the best online um, players out there, but yet is through this channel. So that's the vision. And we're, you know, we are a, um, we're kind of 40% tech company and 60% insurance company uh, that goes through our uh, you know, through our employees, through our through our mission, through the way the product is set up, and so we really understand that that both of those are hyper important to our success, um, and, that, and that really runs through our DNA in terms of how we're attacking it. So, openly was was born in 2017, if I did my my uh, research correctly, and I think you guys have somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 team members, somewhere around there. You're currently operating in 14 states. Uh, and anybody who wants to get more detailed information about the the who, what, where, when for Openly, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Just go to your website? Absolutely. Openly.com. There's a, a path for consumers who want to learn about Openly, but also paths for agencies and agency owners who want to learn about Openly. Uh, you can reach out to us um, if you'd like to learn more, potentially talk about an appointment or you know just learn more about the product that way. Well, the cool thing is, and I'm located in Texas, uh, for those our listeners that don't know that, but we've been appointed with Openly for three or four months now, uh, riding most of our business in Oklahoma and Tennessee. And this, I'm practicing what I preach because I've told people we don't hold back with our secret sauce. And Openly in Oklahoma is definitely part of the secret sauce because there's some areas in Oklahoma where nobody's heard of Openly including the agency population. And it's, it's like bringing a bazooka to a fist fight. And we're going up against these local mutual carriers, these legacy carriers or incumbents, as you say, like a foremost, an American modern, and openly is just carpet bombing the competition. And here you go, listeners. There's your secret sauce. You don't have to be in a resident state to get access to openly. If you have non-resident licenses in one of those 14 states, and they're rolling out a lot more before the end of the year, I suggest you get with Openly and see if it's a good fit for your office. So, sorry, I know that was just a little aside there, Ty. What what do you want people to know with the way that you guys approach 
the practice of insurance? How is openly different from a ground floor practice level? Yeah, absolutely. So, and to be very clear, the product we're in market with right now is what I'd consider an upmarket homeowner's product. So single family homeowner, uh, we'll do anything from about a 200,000 up to a 3 million home. Our sweet spot tends to be in the, um, you know, mid high six figures, low seven figures. And what's, what's great about it, there's a few things. Um, one is the coverage itself is uh, luxurious and in some ways innovative. Um, and what I, for example, I'll give you one example of that is that um, instead of having a traditional coverage A limit on our policy, we insure every home that we write up to $5 million replacement. And behind the scenes, under the waterline, if you will, we're able to price homes accurately based on the, the characteristics of those homes. But we're not asking the customer necessarily to like guess and maybe be wrong up or down about what it would cost to replace their home. So we're just giving them, taking that risk off of them. There's other aspects of it, the sublimits, the you know open perils, contents, coverage, things like that, that I think are more like very high or low deductibles, depending on what the customer wants. So the cover, superior coverage, the I, what I would call pretty game-changing speed and ease of use um, is the the second component. So I know for agents who are you know doing this like all day, every day, being able to get to a truly bindable quote um, in about 10 seconds in most cases with name, date of birth, and address, um, that's, you know, ordered everything. It's, it's sitting there. It's not like, okay, press some more buttons, and then we'll tell you if it's bindable in 30 days, anything like that. Um, that's one of the big, the big factors in the success. But I, I will say it's not all technology. There's certainly a human element to it as well. So the, the part that I, I love the most, so there's this initial hook of, hey, great product, really fast quote, sometimes competitive, sometimes not competitive. I, I hope we're competitive for the, the segments that we want. Um, but what I really love hearing is, is downstream when agents reach out to our, you know, our service team, our underwriting team, our claims and say, hey, I had this great experience with Openly. I, you know, I knew it was fast technology, but the human beings also like get back to me and answer my questions in 30 seconds or five minutes instead of two days to answer, you know, what do I do with this, this farm or whatever it is. That warms my heart because I know that that's what's going to sustain, uh, you know, agents selling more and more and continuing to be loyal to us and, and building that loyalty with the independent agent base. It, it really is cool to see the intersection of technology and really high quality humans uh, that you guys have brought onto your team. Uh, I've had the privilege of interacting with a number of people in different roles within Openly, starting with Liv Kaufman on the BD side of things, but also Marcy in your marketing department, who is phenomenal. And I look forward to meeting her in Tampa. And specifically, I want to tell a little story about Jamie Larson in Oklahoma. Because we ran into a challenge with the RCE. Uh, Openly has a hard stop at 200000 in RCE. But we, we were getting numbers from the system that just weren't jiving with actual experience. Uh, the system assigned a value of $132 replacement per square foot for a, a luxury property in Broken Bow area of Oklahoma. I reached out to Jamie. It's like, this does not seem right. Uh, this is not jiving with actual RCE numbers. And she had a call with the product team and came back to me and said, hey, you're right. This doesn't look right. We need some more data. Can you provide us other RCE uh, estimators from CoreLogic, MSB, et cetera? The whole process from finding a problem with getting a quote out from Openly and going to the right people and getting an actual solution in less than one week from the carrier going, you know, I don't think we might be calculating this exactly the right way. Can you give us some additional information? Mind blown, man. Really impressed with the way that you guys are able to be so agile with the process. I've never seen that from one of the legacy carriers. And just that one little story of, hey, kudos to you, Jamie Larson. Thank you for being so helpful and proactive. I get the vibe that that starts at the top and filters its way down through the way that you lead from the way that people have described you uh, in the co other conversations that I've had. Yeah. I mean, look, I've seen this from both sides. I used to be on the carrier side. I get what's hard about steering a $20 billion legacy carrier book. Uh, I also have seen a lot from the other side. Obviously, my wife was a, started a scratch independent agency years ago, um, a few years ago in, in Massachusetts. And I, I've just seen from both sides the nonsense that I, you know, uh, th there are things about insurance that are just structurally hard and that, that where you have to have guards and controls. But that's not a defense of everything that happens in insurance. And there's, there are also areas of insurance where there is nonsense that has been built up over time and no one ever goes back to like clear out the brush. It's like you build up this yeah. bureaucracy of nonsense and then you, you never go back to like cull the old rules before you bring in the new rules. And so we, one of our core values um, 
as a company is is curiosity. And what that means to us is keep pulling on the thread. Don't just say, well, why do we do this? Well, because we because other people do this. Well, that's not a great answer. Like, uh, you know, pull, well, because if we didn't do that, then I don't know, the RCEs might be lower. Well, why would they be lower? Should they be lower? Should they be higher? You know, keep pulling on the thread until you get to a, a really a first principles answer that satisfies us. And you, you can't always get there. And we, we like everybody else have limitations on our, our what we can do in a given week in technology, of course. Um, but sure. we have to have that culture of pulling on, on the thread. That's what that's the, really the advantage we have, right? We're up against these mammoth behemoths that have so much capital and so many people. But if we're able to pull on the thread a little harder or more persistently, we can win. I, I love the angle of saying, you know what? We're not interested in being a direct writer. We're going all in with the independent agent model because I tell you, it breeds a lot of loyalty from the IA channel because we're we're used to being jerked around by these legacy carriers. And I don't know if if you like the term digital native carrier, but I stopped using the term InsureTech because I didn't feel like it was really that accurate, like an openly uh, on the commercial side, a, a coterie or a next. You know, these digital native carriers that exist and are totally comfortable not having any of the legacy infrastructure uh, agility like we've already talked about. I want to ask a couple of questions on on strategy of how you guys are going to attack this beast that is being a 48 state carrier. Because you start off in, in, I don't know what state you began in. I know you guys are, Illinois. are headquartered in, in the Boston area, right? We are we are headquartered in Boston. We launched initially in Illinois. Arizona was a quick follow. Um, yeah. So from, from an underwriting standpoint, from you know building out rating guidelines, and obviously you're trying to make a profit here, uh, actuarially, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, a Texas where I am, could not be more different from an exposure standpoint than something like Arizona, which other than brush fires, I imagine is pretty easy to navigate from a catastrophe standpoint. So how are you guys staying out in front? Are, are you leveraging just a mountain of big data when, when you try to match the pricing to the exposure as a, you know, a multi-state operation with you know, countrywide, you're going to have a lot of challenges that you don't have when you're only in 14 states. Yeah. Well, um, that's, that's a great question. And um, there are both actuarial challenges, if you will, and obviously operational challenges. Um, on the, you know, really on the actuarial side, we, we have to make adequate returns on every little component of our premium. We're not one of these carriers that's going to say, okay, it's okay, we can lose money over here and kind of subsidize it over here. We think that insurance is, there's going to be more and more and more consumer price on, um, or pressure on price, excuse me. And so to the extent that we have big holes in our rating model, those are going to be exploited over time. And I think all carriers will face that. And so our philosophy, what we do is we divide our, our, when we price a policy, we divide it into like 65 little parts. And one of them is hail damage to the roof of this house. And one is hurricane damage to the walls of this house or to the, the stuff inside the mm. house. And for each of those, it, it takes a different approach. So the, the approach you take to, all right, how am I gonna rate the water damage to this house? And how am I gonna underwrite against that is different from how am I gonna rate or underwrite against the hurricane peril? So for example, when we launched our first real coastal state, Massachusetts, we overlaid a an 80 meter grid basically over all of Massachusetts and said, well, we're going to know at each of these points, what is the kind of fundamental for that location? What is the the hurricane risk according to, you know, there's various ways to triangulate on that. Um, and then of course you layer on the parts about the house and the customer, et cetera. So while it is, um, it's certainly different. It takes a different approach to, to model out that, that hurricane risk versus modeling out the, you know, attritional water risk somewhere else. Um, it, it, it is mm-hmm. the same approach of being very precise about which things are going to affect that. Let's bring all the data we can to bear. And you're right. You, you talked about data. We have hundreds of pieces of data, which we bring in to rate a policy. So we you just, you know, your name, date of birth and address, we use that to bring in hundreds of other pieces of data about you, the house, the location, the 80 meter grid, et cetera, uh, and get to it. And our, our approach, by the way, you know, is we want to be we don't want to be a niche specialist at this stage in um, anything geographically so it would be we think a mistake for us to say we're going to be an absolute coastal specialist because and there there different people may have different opinions on this but um, we think the the lack of diversification for a small company can be pretty dangerous in doing that. You're either heavily dependent on cat reinsurance or your own capital or whatnot. Um, and so we, our goal is to, we know most of the nice houses or many of the nice houses we're going out are in fact quite coastal and we're open to that. But we also don't want to be 80% coastal if you look across our countrywide platform. So um, I think people will find that we're pretty um, reasonable and are willing to write in, in most areas. Um, but 
uh, we, we will ultimately have a pretty balanced portfolio given the way that our pricing and underwriting works. Operationally, uh, we, we're realistic about things like claims, for example, where we have part of our claims operation is handled in-house, the fi you know, file ownership and whatnot. And, but we're also realistic that we have teams in place um, with third parties to help us. If there is a big cat, then and we need to you know, drastically increase our adjuster resources. We have those resources lined up and in place for, for if that occurs. So a, a granular question, if you don't mind, and if the answer is, I don't know yet, we'll figure it out and get back to you, that's totally fine. One of the challenges for, for us riding coastal business from just from a competitive position is there are certain coastal companies that are only coastal uh, that have certain advantages, you know, a, a, a travelers or, uh, you know, insert carrier name here has certain limitations because they recognize that, you know, on the Texas coastline, it's pretty likely on a five-year timetable, you're going to have a, a hurricane or two. And so they look at minimum deductible thresholds. One of the things I found really interesting about the way that you guys do business is your, your wind hail deductible goes a lot lower that I'm used to seeing. So when you guys look at it from a strategy perspective, are you going to allow that same kind of deductible flexibility for coastal exposures? Because the idea of being to have having a thousand dollar wind hail deductible, honestly, is a foreign concept to me. The first time I encountered that, I'm like, that, what? Is that right? They offer that as a deductible option? Well, of course, you're going to price for it. But are you going to give the agent that kind of competitive flexibility? Yeah. Look, philosophically, I would always rather use price rather than somehow restrict availability. And that could be not writing a risk at all or take, you know, forcing them to a coverage that is less coverage than, than they want. So that's, that is our default position. And in places where we can do that, especially with respect to uh, you know, severe storm risk, um, we, we do tend to do that to your point. Um, we're always you know, tweaking as we go and seeing, how, but that is our default position. Um, now, when you get into some of the really long-tailed risks, the you know, earthquake in high, uh, you know, highly risky earthquake zones or hurricane in certain areas, we do start to impose um, higher minimum deductibles. So we, we have like a $1,000, uh, excuse me, a $10,000 minimum deductible in certain highly coastal areas of Massachusetts, where which is our most coastal state right now. Um, we, mm -hmm. so, you know, like that's, uh, over time, I would love to keep pushing the boundaries of that, even in those areas and say, but right now we have to balance like, hey, let's make sure that we're that, that we're getting the right reinsurance support we need um, at, a, at a fair price mm -hmm. and also balancing the coverage. Um, and really that's where the, the focus of the reinsurers is heavily on the, um, you know, big giant hurricane hits <laughs> the coast or earthquake. That's where it's really hitting typically their balance sheets as opposed to, um, you know, tornado goes through a, a particular state, which can obviously can have a, a large impact, but it's just in terms of this statistically looking at what are the really big events for the reinsurers, it tends to be the, the hurricane or earthquake. So. Long answer to your question, but you, you, I, get, I you get the philosophy, you. hopefully. So. I, I love that kind of nuanced, meaty answer to a question because, you know, half of the listening audience goes, I understand reinsurance in a general sense of a concept, but I have no idea what he just said. And the other half is eating it up and loving every word that comes out of your mouth. So I, I love that answer. That is exactly what I was uh, hoping to get from you. So uh, I, I want to be a good steward of our time, and uh, we do have limited resources here. I want to pivot, if I can, and, and move more into some questions about you individually, because, my man, you have done really well with your time on this spinning blue orb in space. I, you graduate from Duke, you graduate from MIT, you're adjunct faculty at MIT. Somewhere in there, you found time for a, a wife and two kids. It, you have done a marvelous job, uh, you know, maximizing and, and reaching your potential. Everybody listening to this podcast right now is themselves trying to strive to reach their potential. Most people are leading a team of some sort, maybe not 130 people at a carrier, but some, you know, five people in a retail office. When you think about your position as, as a leader, uh, as someone who is responsible for making good decisions and steering the ship, uh, tell, talk to me a second about your leadership paradigm. What makes a good leader and how do you personally practice good leadership at Openly? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just for the record, I'll clarify, I am not currently affiliated with MIT as adjunct faculty. I, I, I used to teach there when I was in grad school. Um, but uh, to get to your... Sure. Sorry, I should have no, clarified no, that. Uh, to get to your question. so. Um, Look, one of the most interesting things. So when I started out um, in my corporate career, I was an individual contributor and everything was about, you know, technical expertise and being really, you know, taking ownership of things and, you know, 
driving, uh, you know, having attention to detail and that kind of thing, but it was less about the traditional leadership skills. As I rose to the ranks there, it became about strategic leadership. And then ultimately it was really about like people and about, you know, as a C-level executive, uh, making sure that I was putting in place the team and really they were driving a lot of the strategy. Now, when I went to a startup, it's it's a really interesting experience for people who haven't taken that journey. You go from having, you know, hundreds of people in, in the, on this team and, you're suddenly plunged into being one of two co-founders who no longer has a salary and is sitting in a WeWork, you know, writing your uh, your business model or, or whatnot. And it, it threw me back into that, those days of real technical expertise and and you know some degree of strategy. And that was a it was an interesting plunge back into that. But I feel like um, a lot of startup founders had never come to it without having had that corporate experience and having had the leadership experience. And so I do feel like it's really an advantage to have had some of that experience across the whole spectrum of levels of leadership, right? Um, at Openly, one of the things we're trying to do is, you know, we, we are fundamentally an insurance company. We, we don't run from that, but there are a lot of things that we can learn from other industries. In particular, you know, I, like I said, we're 40, maybe we're 49%, I don't know, tech company. Um, and a lot of the practices, um, even down to organizational structures of tech companies, the, the practices, the way that people uh, develop things on, on sprints and iterate as opposed to you know rolling something out, spending two years building something and then rolling it out. A lot of what we're trying to build is that. And it's, it's tough at an, at an insurance company because there are so many big brick walls of regulation and you know things that, that, that have inertia within them. But we're really trying to push the envelope on that and say which parts of insurance can be iterative and tech-like, even if it's not tech, it's just tech-like in its rapid development cycle, um, and which parts can't be. So a lot of a lot of what I spend my time these days doing, I'm back to that having a relatively large, not large, but you know medium-sized company at this point. Um, it's, and it's really exciting to be back thinking about some of the organizational challenges and how do we get these people, you know, how, how do we delve out ownership in the right way? And should it be the functional leader who really has ownership of, of, of this, this initiative or is this the like cross-functional uh, outcome-oriented leader who, who has uh, ownership of this? And that's a lot of the time that we spend doing. But and that's also the talent we bring in, I should say. It's partly like, what do you do with the talent you have? And it's partly the uh, talent we've brought in. We've, we've really attempted to bring in people from both those tech worlds and the insurance worlds and, and get fresh perspectives there. Um, and it, but but I'll... I'll not drone on uh, too long, but the, the last piece I'd say is that for me personally, that transition back from being, you know, I was the leader of a big division at a company and then individual contributor. And it, I've had to re-undergo that conscious transition from, oh, you know, doing technical work yourself to really take a step back, empower people to take over your baby, this thing that you built, take this thing over and empower them to make it better than, than you can make it. Yep. No, that that is a comprehensive answer. I, I, you can drone on as much as you want. You're the interview guest here. So uh, the, one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, as a, a startup leader, I have six people on my team. Uh, we started with zero two and a half years ago. Um, the, the headspace. I spent a lot of time reading and listening to stuff talking about grit and resilience. When you are in the midst of what I can only imagine is an incredible grind, getting a carrier off the ground and dealing with all of the stakeholders in your ecosystem, how do you practice that positive headspace? How do you keep your edge when it comes to grit, when it comes to resilience, to, to make sure that you are at all times the best possible version of yourself and overcoming the internal negativity, the the, the bad self-talk that we all deal with as leaders? Yeah. And it's funny, you talk about the grind and there are, there are two elements of a grind. One grind is where you're working really, really hard and you have 14 hours of work to do in this 18 hour period. And, but you know what it is and you know where it's gonna lead. And you, that, that's, that's what I'll call the easy grind. The hard grind is the existential terror of, uh, you know, this week, oh, is our company gonna survive or not? Oh, it, oh is, and that, those days are fewer now for sure. But for, you know, the initial couple of years of building the company, it is just terrifying. Any entrepreneur has almost certainly gone through this. And it's, um, it, it is tough to, it, because it is the negativity. It's not the, oh, hard work challenge coming up. It's the, if your headspace gets into that negative place, um, oh my gosh, is this going to work? You know, what, 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 that's when it can really, because then you go into a kind of a spiral where you're not able to work as effectively. Um, I personally, part of it is having been through, you know, in the early days of the company, so, so many 
what seemed like insurmountable existential crises, like, oh, it's over. Um, that, that happened many times in the early days of the company, that now the perspective <laughs> from that is awesome. It's, it's great in life. You step back and you say, I, I know that we'll overcome this. I don't, I, can't, I don't know how, but I know that I've not known how before, and yet we've gotten through it. Um, and the other piece, very, very practically, I, <laughs> I, I literally, um, this is maybe unique to me, but I, I, I pull way back and I, I, like, I meditate. I think I, I do that every morning. I, I think about um, the nature of this reality and my place in it and the much broader questions. You know, I, sometimes when I'm really freaking out, I'll go you know, hug my kids while they're um, you know, asleep in bed and just say, look, there, there's a broader perspective. And for me, getting that just broader perspective on life, my kids, the universe, that helps me come back to my work. Yeah, that's listen to what he just said, Freedom Jumpers, because Ty Harris is in a different stage than almost everyone listening to this podcast. But the scale of the challenge does not in any way, in my opinion, change the the content of that answer. You have to practice that positive headspace and, and attack the negativity. As you said, man, I, I really appreciate that. It's It's easy to relate to someone in your role with those kind of challenges. It may not be as easy to relate to a CEO of a carrier, but those kind of challenges, we can all relate to that, of course. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. So along those lines, how do you go about improving yourself from here? One of my favorite books of of, uh, the last 10 years is What Gots You Here Won't Get You There. I forget the author's name off the top of my head, but someone in your position who already has a long list of accomplishments, the difference between okay and good is much, much bigger than the difference between good to great and great to best in class. So from where you are now with a long list of achievements, how are you working still at this point to continue improving, to continue innovating, to find that next edge, the next challenge to overcome? Yeah, the the hardest part of that for me and what I'm doing is that it's so easy to get stuck doing what you have been doing for the last year or two because it's just there is such a grind and it's so hard. And so the hardest part is finding that person who I can tr- and letting myself let go of that task. So hey, uh, we need to you know be out there building the product and getting out more states. And I feel like I'm the only person who can do that because I'm the best at doing it. And I've always done it. Wait, I got to bring in someone. I got to trust him. Oh my gosh, he's actually really good at it. They built a team. They're doing that now. Oof, that's off my plate. And so clearing out the the underbrush of headspace from that kind of thing, um, and and just that comes from just building a team that you can trust and and, and empowering them. And that, I'm not saying that's easier that I always do it, but that's certainly I recognize the conscious practice there. And that to me then opens up your headspace to say, all right, I'm gonna instead of going through this spreadsheet or whatever thing I was going to, you know, very tactical thing I was going to think about. Instead, I'm going to like read about other fintech businesses um, to see, because I think there's a lot, a lot of what I've come to believe about insurance, I've sort of learned from other somewhat adjacent industries and in, in, in finance and, and technology. Um, and so, you know, part, a lot of it is that is just clearing out the headspace so that you can make those connections. To me, a lot of the, a lot of what I feel like I sometimes add is being able to connect uh, you know, draw analogies to other uh, situations that aren't ex- that you wouldn't have maybe necessarily jumped to the analogy to insurance, but you say, "Oh yeah, I see how that could could apply to insurance." And I think that's some of our some of our breakthroughs. So when you think about your vision for the rest of this life cycle that we're we're all in as the industry, we're in most of the the markets that we're in. It's definitely a harder market. There's there's not nearly as much. Uh, give as as there was a couple of years ago. Underwriting is tightened up for basically everybody. The profits are a lot harder to come by. 
when you look at, at your vision for where uh, you fit as a carrier CEO in our industry, as a thought leader, as an influencer, and maybe even Openly's position as a company, what's your vision for how you steer the ship out of this current evolution and prepare for what's next? And, you know, spoiler alert, my next question is going to pivot to talking in a, in a larger existential sense of the industry. And some we'll talk about some of those things uh, after you answer this question, because I'm sure it'll inform where the rest of the interview goes. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about how I see the um, independent agency space evolving and what I, what I think that channel brings. But our, our true laser-focused vision is to just continue to build, to, to react to the needs of that channel and to build things that, you know, this is aspirational, but to, to an independent agent sometimes feels like they just picked up an iPhone for the first time or something, right? So it feels like, oh, I didn't know it could be like that when I um, interact with the technology or even like you said, with the, the underwriting team or the, the marketing team or the sales team or the claims team. It's just like, wow, that is a different ball game from what I'm ex used to. That's not just like kind of a little bit better. So that is, I, we have absolute confidence that as we do that, um, that, that we will win. And we really do believe we'll be the number one provider of personal insurance through independent agents. I mean, I, I know that sounds like loopy for someone who, who, who launched two years ago, but we look at our metrics in some of our earliest states and we look at like monthly new sales in some of our uh, early states and we can see <laughs> that's like a super leading indicator of where we'll be someday. And we're actually approaching number one market share by as measured by monthly new business sales in some of our earliest states. We think we can do that everywhere. So that's really the, that's the business vision is to bring it to um, a, a mammoth uh, carrier. And then this, the second component of that is, and this gets into my existential view of the industry is to do so at a, a drastically lower expense basis than, um, than other carriers out there. You know, and if you look at the industry as a whole, one of the biggest problems is that in my mind is that about 40% of the money goes toward expense of some type, um, you know, either loss adjustment expense or GNA expense or, or whatnot. And that that's too high. I mean, that, that, that will not, as, as insurance becomes more and more digital and there's more and more pressure on price that has to come down. Um, and we believe that we are on a path to building you know, a carrier for independent agents that runs a, you know, we, we have already given the tools we have on the table, we have line of sight to sort of a mid twenties total all in expense ratio, including LAE. And we think we can even get it below that. So um, that's, and that's a big difference, right? You're talking sort of like USAA Geico level expense well, ratios, um, despite uh, for through an IA carrier. Well, and Geico and USAA don't pay commissions to agents uh, in the way that you guys do. So I, the lean and mean approach, man, as a retail agency principal who is publicly all in on openly, I could not be more enthusiastic and bullish on you guys. I love that explanation because that tells me what I was hoping you would say is you're running leaner and you're you know leveraging those systemic advantages. It, it is, as I say around my office, my team is sick of hearing it. I love an unfair advantage. I will take whatever I can get to beat the competition, obviously ethically and legally, but you know, that it brings us to a wonderful, uh, you know, conversion into the last section of the interview, talking in, in the bigger picture, the industry as a whole, the independent agency channel. Uh, where do you see things going with the whole democratization of data thing, the, the monoliths of, of Vertifor and applied on the, the vendor side of things, uh, controlling so much of the data from Ivan's downloads uh, with the the private equity and the hedge funds, the alphabet shops gobbling up these small locally owned offices. There's so many different big things happening simultaneously. It, it's maybe hard to make predictions, but I bet you're going to make a couple of predictions. What what do you see evolving or changing in this channel of the of the industry in the next say two or three years? Yeah, I mean, if you talk to so a lot of people out there will say, oh, insurance. Is, it's inevitably going to go direct. We're going to invest in direct, direct, direct. And when you really start peeling the onion, what they mean, if you ask them, what do you mean by direct? What does that mean to you? They'll, they will, they're conflating two different things and they're attaching them together. Direct in one sense means uh, that the, the person who is like marketing the insurance and has the customer on the phone or on, on their website or whatnot is also the producer and the underwriter ultimately of the insurance. Um, and then the other way people sometimes means direct is, okay, less human involvement in uh, automated the tasks that could be automated, so more digital. You know, and it's not a it's not a binary. It's kind of a spectrum. And I, in my mind, the former is wrong, and the latter is right. So what I what I see for the future of the industry is, um, you know, 
yes, increasing automation, not on a binary, but on, on, a, on a scale where certain tasks that human agents have historically done will be done by the computer and certain tasks will still be done by the human being. And that and the balance of those two will obviously be different for auto insurance versus like surety. <laughs> but 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 it will it will invariably move for every line of business toward more and more digital. But by the same, the flip side of that is choice will also win. So what's not going to win, let's say insurance was completely digital. I, I'm going to bet on like the kayak of insurance over the Delta Airlines website of insurance, even if it's fully digital. Which I, So I, to, in my mind, it is the just insurmountable advantage that independent agents have is that choice proposition, product choice, price choice, eligibility choice, all of the, uh, you know, objective guidance. Even if it's a robot on their website, at least it's giving what the consumer could believe is objective guidance as opposed to what they might hear from a carrier to fit them into a particular box. So I do think agents, they have to really assess, you know, where they want to be on the digital scale. And I think there's different right answers. There's room for in agents of many different stripes, uh, different customer segments and whatnot on how digital they are. Um, but I think they have to just you know, be clear about that piece. But I do see it um, going toward digital choice as sort of ultimately, you know, you mentioned like PE firms gobbling things up. You're right, that's a big trend. So obviously consolidation of you know, back offices, uh, increasing these carriers. A lot of the big carriers that you would think of as captive or direct obviously have kind of become giant independent agencies quietly, but right, they, they most of the, many of the customers that they might only sell their own product in the past, they will now sell uh, to multiple uh, other carriers if, if, if they aren't a right fit for the customer. So you see a lot of things becoming independent agencies that weren't, that didn't used to be. Yeah. Well, and I think it's really interesting to reflect on Liberty, your old shop. Uh, most people would be surprised to learn that a, a Liberty, quote unquote, captive sales agent has open access to a lot of other markets. And, and they didn't used to. I mean, as recently as just a few years ago, a Liberty sales agent only sold Liberty products. And that's definitely not the case anymore. Uh, the, the typical independent agent doesn't recognize I, now, not to get too far off topic, but you have the, the state farm buying Gainsco. You have farmers buying Foremost and then a decade later um, with MetLife, with that acquisition. Allstate goes in and buys insurance and then Encompass and National General. These consolidations, in my personal opinion, they're not terribly good for the industry. So the, the innovation, the adding of another choice like Openly is doing, I can't help but think that it's good, obviously for you guys, it's good for the agents that are kind of annoyed by feeling like there's this internal conflict. For me personally, and I'll use Progressive as the whipping post because they're the one that come up in conversation most often because they have such a high amount of market share in some of these lines of business. But there is a lot of competition with Progressive Direct and they have different rates than the IA channel. And they will BOR a policy from an agent to the direct. That kind of an example, and Progressive is a great company. They do a lot of things really well, but they've created an inherent conflict with the agency channel that I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that's not in any way in the vision that you guys don't want to compete. Uh, you're basically you know, asking the independent agency channel to, to go steady and to, you know, can I put a ring on the finger is, is what I'm hearing from you. Is that right? Absolutely. And I'll say it's not it's not altruism, obviously, right? It's because we believe that is the right thing for consumers and we want to chase yeah. where the, we think the consumers are going to go. And because the economics are, everyone thinks, oh, direct is, it's not, it's not that clear when you really look at the lifetime value of a company through independent agents and the fact that as a carrier, we're effectively splitting the acquisition cost with the other carriers in that agent's office, right? That's kind of how, what we're doing, if you think about it. Um, that that is a pretty strong economic force, um, but I but I will say like because it's because it's not altruism. I, I will say we do think the world will go more digital. So I, right now we're you know the vast majority of our sales are through agents where it's human human contact pretty much the whole way through. I do expect that a lot of our fastest growing agencies over the next ten years will be agencies that digitize parts of their funnel. And we won't be shy about working with those agencies. We're not going to say we won't work with digital agencies because we do think that's a large part of the future. So, um, but we do think, um, I don't know, I, I just I have great faith that there's there's room in the in the pie of agencies for, for a lot of different models for, for quite a while. So what I'm hearing you say is there's a, a possibility that we will have a on an agent's website, a direct access to quote bind issue and openly policy from start to finish at some point. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, we are. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we, one of our, 
objectives is to be um, omni accessible to independent agents. And so, um, you know, we started out, we just had our user interface where you go to our web app and type in name, date of birth address and go through the process. We're now branching out. We're obviously on a few comp raters now. Um, mm-hmm. We, in the, in, in the future, we want to, one of the things we want to iterate on is what are the other ways that agents want to interact with us? Um, do they want to build their own UIs that our user interface, excuse me, that, um, you know, that link into our software that their agents use? Do they want to build their own UIs that consumers can go to? They, do they want us to have a widget that we place on their page that consumers go to? I mean, that last one, it's interesting. It, in a sense, it, it violates some of the value prop of an independent agent if the consumer is going there and getting like an openly quote as opposed to, you know, the eight quotes the agency might ask them. So we're not we're not pushing that one too hard right now, but I do see that as sure. a possibility and we have, have had some demand for that. And I'm more thinking along the lines of give the people what they want, you know, for market segmentation within a retail office. Because there's, I mean, there's definitely different flavors of prospect and you guys have clearly aligned yourself with the more preferred profile. Uh, along those lines... The preferred profile, and you know this far better than I do, I'm sure, they overwhelmingly indicate that they prefer to deal with package business whenever possible. So, of course, the the question begs being asked, uh, what sort of, of timeline are we looking at before Openly uh, flips over to the other side of the personal lines and delivers some sort of auto product to the marketplace? Yeah, we're... we're um... I know that's Most, a that's a hard question to answer because auto no, no, is fair. totally different than property. No, we we we're, we're chomping at the bit to build it. The reason we haven't yet is only because we just want to make sure that we're 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 sufficiently focused on getting our current product to new states and. and Building some of the backup features in our existing product that agents have demanded, you know, greater, uh, you know, accessibility of certain um, information, and you know, increasing self-service, and just really making it a delightful experience. Building our, out the claims operation, et cetera. However, to answer your question, we will build an auto product. Um, you know, most likely it's a couple years out from the launch, um, mm-hmm. which means we're getting started designing it pretty soon. Uh, but. We, we, have a ton, we have a huge team of people who have built auto products in the past and are, are dying to build. What, what will be the best auto product out there, full stop, but to bring this then to the independent agency channel, we'll be, we'll be really excited about it. It'll be as, uh, at least as exciting as our home product, I feel like, uh, for, as an auto product. Well, I'm going to digress with one question before I put out kind of an open-ended thing. And we're approaching 43 minutes of recording time, and I'm definitely going to respect your time. I'm sure you have other things to do this afternoon. I found the most wonderful little surprise when we wrote a policy and it had these hearts by the price. And I'm thinking, I was like, what are these hearts? I don't even know what that is. This is one of the first policies we ever bound with you is in in Tennessee, uh, this policy in question. And then we get our commission statement and I'm like, huh. That's more than I thought it was going to be. Come to find out, obviously, you guys have this very innovative thing where you look at your giant pile of data and your system says, we anticipate the lifetime value of this client is higher, so we're going to share some of that profit with the agent in the form of anywhere from two to 10 additional points of comp on new business. And you guys are generally 14, 14, plus or minus a few, depending on where you are geographically. So you're looking at potentially as much as 24% commission on a new business policy if Openly is just in love with this uh, submission that the agent puts in front of you. How did you guys arrive at that way of doing it? Because from the retail agent perspective, I mean, what a beautiful little surprise. As if Openly wasn't good enough already. And yes, I'm completely biased at this point, and I don't have to be unbiased. It's my podcast. I mean, holy crap, man. What a cool idea. I haven't even seen that from somebody else built in. It's not a bonus. It's it's commissioned like normal uh, commission to the agency. That that is yeah, really cool. Yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate that question. We, um, I think it, it does two things. One is it we believe we succeed most when we're really aligned with the agents, right? So we have that. We also have, you know, renewal profit sharing, which I know is much more common in the industry, obviously. But I think we've actually done that in a little bit more thoughtful way that acknowledges. Um, the, the noise inherent in an early agent's book. Um, but anyway, uh, but part of it is it obviously just aligns. It, it's based on kind of splitting what we see as the future lifetime value of this customer and sharing some of that with the agent. We have these models that are able to predict, you know, retention and potential loss ratio and, you know, how often are they going to, and we just feel like we want to share a little bit of that to, to align interest and to drive agents to sell that stuff. It also, one of the advantages we see in the independent agent space is bringing really sophisticated 
models and algorithms that a lot of direct carriers have applied to pricing. We apply those to pricing as well, but there's other areas where you can apply those. And that's an example of bringing, you know, really neat modeling to bear on this other dimension of competition where we, we don't see others playing right now. No, that's definitely check it out. If you haven't seen it already, uh, you appointed agents. When you see those little hearts, each one of those green hearts means two additional points of new business commission up to 10 additional points. And my gosh, that is just incredible. I don't see that from any of the carriers that we're working with. So there you go. I, I have to move to the last question because it may be a, a lengthy answer. So when, when you look at the industry as a whole, the, the legacy incumbent carriers to use your term, when you think about the systemic challenges that the ecosystem is facing uh, from uh, inflation from the financial markets being really unpredictable. So your investment income is not as uh, as stable as it was five or 10 years ago. Uh, what do you think openly can do to navigate these very uncertain times? And post-COVID, I'm not even going to get into the whole you know COVID thing and the complications that that definitely brought to your door. I'll, I'll set that one aside for a future time. But just looking at the the landscape as a whole, what can openly do to better the industry, not just, you know, an individual agent, individual policyholder, what are you on mission for in a larger sense? Yeah, I think if you pull way back, you're like, well, what, what are the big problems with insurance? What are the, the, are the big things to be solved? I think there's really two things. One is I, I alluded to earlier, the fact that 40% of the money goes to expenses. And that is, you know, a lot of things... A lot of competition insurance turns out as zero-sum competition. So it's building better algorithms that pick off the best risks that someone then else gets the worst risks. And that's great. It's a fair element of competition, but it's not ultimately advancing, you know, like the human race that much or, or the, the big the pie available to everyone that much. On the other hand, lowering expense is indeed, uh, you know, making the whole pie that's still available for other things bigger. So in, in the grand scheme, I think that lowering expense um, and, and, and in particular doing so in a way that's available through um, choice channels because today the low expense carriers typically uh, they they put this burden on the consumers like the carrier saves money but now the burden is on the consumer to go shop 28 different websites or, or call different people to do to, to waste their own time so they've like offloaded this acquisition expense onto the consumer in some sense so I want to do neither of those I want to be have the consumer still have a great choice experience but also not have this big inefficient things sitting there. And then the other part is, despite all that expense, a lot of people don't have, they get nasty coverage surprises. It's not that common because not that many people ultimately have like lots of claims, but when it does happen, it can be quite poor. So you don't have, uh, you know, earthquake coverage, you don't have water backup coverage, or your house burns down and you don't have enough coverage. And, or you don't, you know, you have named perils contents coverage and there's an ice dam that links on your couch. I, and I just, it, it, you're never going to fix all those situations. But one of our goals is to have really comprehensive coverage, at least available and easily available. I want to have one click can get the consumer covered for everything they reasonably could be. And if they say no and they take the risk, okay, but like we really want to expand the coverage that's available. And our, I think our product gets 80% of the way there right now. And there, there's more we'll do in the future to, to broaden it even further. From the agent's perspective of dialing in exactly the ideal coverage, I was really impressed with how many different elements are just baked in. Uh, I, I asked for policy specimens and was able to quickly find them from your on your catalog of resources. Come to find out, uh, the seepage and leakage, aka slow leak protection, is baked in at twenty thousand uh, dollars per incident. Uh, you don't even have to do anything; it's automatically there. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in most states, your your form is a native HO5. You don't have to endorse it. It's already there. And yeah. There's, there's, there, oh, man, I, I could go on. It's, it, I, I love the simplicity of the user interface. The fact that the agent can go from initial quote to bound policy out the door to the mortgage company for escrow payment or paid in full from the policyholder. It literally like three or four minutes. If you've got all the data necessary to input on the front end, I mean, it is the easiest experience that we have in, in our agency. Um, the, the, there's some other players, uh, you know, in uh, Branch as a, as a carrier that we're just becoming familiar with. They're, uh, they've got active in Texas. I see them as being similar uh, in approach. It seems like uh, the, the Branch and the Openly, as I look forward into 
who are the hot names that we're going to hear over and over again? Uh, these new names. Everybody's heard of Travelers. Most people haven't yet heard of Openly. Um, as we wrap this thing up, uh, what do you see as the biggest obstacle for Openly, for, for Ty Harris? Uh, what does it look like for you uh, to overcome wh whatever that obstacle might be that's in your path, that's in Openly's path uh, as, as we wrap this thing up? Well, you know, the obstacles of so many tech companies, we're funded by VCs that are used to working with kind of tech companies. And in many cases, you have to solve like one problem really well, and you can have an amazing company and everything else is peripheral. With insurance, there are, you, you can't fail. You've got like 10 things you've got to do really well, and you can't be kind of bad at one of them and then like pretty good at these other ones. So you can't just have like a bad claims operation, but be awesome at quoting, et cetera. Or, I mean, you may be able to for a short period of time, but that's not going to be sustainable. So to me, the, the, the obstacle is being able to take this thing that's so doable and awesome when you have 130 employees and keep that <laughs> fresh hunger and drive and um, you know, curiosity and empathy and, 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 and keep that working when we have 500 employees and a, you know, 1,000 employees. Um, and and I, I don't, I, when you ask what's an obstacle, I, I have confidence we'll do that given the, the management team and that we have in place and the people we have in place. But it is a thing that um, keeps me up a little bit at night thinking about like, let's not lose that because that is so much of our edge. It's just how, I won't name it. I mean, you 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 know you write to the underwriter in some other company, and the the what you get back is just so different from I hope what you get back from from our team, and I want to keep it that way. Now I, I can say literally every person on your team, from the the chat responder, you know, the person sitting in, in a keyboard in a in a call center somewhere. If you I don't know if you have a call center, you might be all remote, and they're sitting in their living room on their laptop. I don't know. But it has been a universally positive experience. And I don't say that as some sort of silly little fanboy or because I'm talking to the CEO on a podcast. I'm, I'm genuinely shocked because the only thing that I had a real problem with was the, the RCE calculation and having three declines for what are, I mean, super preferred policyholders, which is frustrating, obviously. But the response from your product team, from Jamie, the, the account manager in Oklahoma, was really impressive. I have not seen that um, that level of agility uh, and and urgency really anywhere in the nine years that I've been practicing insurance. So uh, I I agree. I think it's very likely that you guys are going to overcome that obstacle. Uh, I I see openly being um, an absolute mainstay. So from my perspective, if you're listening to this podcast and you are not appointed with openly. They may not want you for whatever reason. They, they, I'm sure there's people that you don't want to be appointed with openly out there. Uh, you're, not, uh, you're not someone without standards, obviously. Uh, but if you're not appointed with openly, you really should reach out, openly.com, uh, and, and engage with them. Ty, what's your message as we wrap this thing up? What is your call to action to the people listening to this podcast? What do you want them to do practically after hearing your, your interview? Yeah, so I'll say you know we we love former captive agents because um, you know I, I I have my thoughts earlier probably reflected what I what I think about sort of the future of that channel as opposed to the more uh, choice consumer channels and. I love the combination of experience and hunger <laughs> that I feel like comes with, you know, a captive agent who's now has had a lot of experience selling insurance and is now suddenly on their own um, building an independent agency. So um, for agents who sell a fair bit of homeowners, have, you know, lead with the home, get some nice, you know, mid six figure single family homes, we would love to talk to you. Um, we do have standards, but, you know, we, we, we can quickly, what we promise is that we'll very quickly assess whether we're a mutual match for each other. There won't be any nonsense in the evaluation and appointment process one way or the other. Um, and we, we'd love to talk to you. So openly.com. Awesome. And speaking as a former farmer's agent who has dealt with exactly what you are talking about there, uh, yeah, you, you've, you've definitely impressed me so far, and that's not the easiest thing to do. So Ty Harris, CEO of Openly Insurance, uh, thank you so much for being a guest on the Agency Freedom Podcast. Uh, any closing thoughts, or are you basically good to go, my man? No, just thank you so much for having me. Um, this is you know, the, the, the channel we've built our business around, we're, we're so excited about it. And it's great to be able to talk to uh, your audience of, of people who sort of really share that passion. So thank you. 
Awesome. Folks, that is it for this episode. Uh, that's, uh, that's really all there is to it. So I will give you back to the rest of your day. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite podcasting platform to get automatic updates on every new episode and help other people find us organically. If you like the content you hear, please drop us a quick review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share Agency Freedom with someone you know who is still on the captive side of the insurance world. They'll thank you later. You can connect with other Freedom Jumpers, ask questions, get advice, and share your best practices in our Facebook group. Just type Agency Freedom Podcast in the search bar. Visit our website at agencyfreedompodcast.com to sign up for our email list and get access to exclusive resources and sign up to be a potential future guest on the show. We welcome your comments, feedback, and ideas. Email podcast at riskwell.com and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help our listeners go from captive to indie to market domination. Until next time, let's go.